Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you. That's the voice of Dick Warren welcoming you, my friends, to another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way. Alex uh, Terranova is uh, my longtime partner in this, a great human being and founder of The Dream Mason. You can find him at thedreammason.com. How are you, sir? I'm a great human being. (laughs) You're going to put that on your website? I'm going to, yeah. That's great. That's that's the top banner of my website. I'm gonna get a placard, a great human being, and make you uh, sign it. On this day, I was declared. Yeah. Uh, how are things? Anything you want to share with the class? I know we've already talked about your facial hair and the questionable nature of it, but anything? You know, anything it just else? keeps making a comeback by popular demand. Um, I was told. I was told this week that it just seems like it's me. You know, so. Not a compliment. Not. I know, a compliment. I know. I don't know. I don't know if I was. Su- I'm supposed to be. You know, get some aviators and become a police officer. Oh yeah. Um, On Saturday night, maybe, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Seventy eighties adult, adult actor. Uh, we're trying to keep <laughs> right. this. You know. Uh, nice. Yeah. For the kids. What other? What All other, the kids. Other, maybe, coaching. Other pro- yeah. What other professions might I? Uh... I think there. You know, depending on on the back part of your genes, I think there's a real plumber vibe going. And I say that as a as a fan of plumbers and and a man who's kept many plumbers in in good business um all right right. so you know give it some thought i mean if this whole coaching there's options though right two two jobs that are i was going to say two jobs in the service industry but really three jobs in the service industry (laughs) wow uh that you could find out more about alex uh, although i'm not sure you'd want to at thedreammason.com he's also author of fictional authenticity and a contributing author to redefining masculinity uh we want to shout out to our longtime sponsor of this show accomplishment coaching home of the world's finest coach training program you can find them on the webs these these intro webs they're very popular at accomplishmentcoaching.com uh programs are available now almost almost anywhere um anything you want to share with the class before we uh to uh, talk to our guest I, I mean i don't have anything in the share is there anything you want to share you just let you just did you just did went back into the classroom and did some work is there anything you want to share about that i know there will a, a short brief one so i did this thing where and i know that you've had some experience like this where first of all i love nothing more than being in the training room right that's i mean i love my wife and my kids and then there's the training so um I get in there and there's somebody who's got an issue and they have to make a life choice and they've sort of already made it, but I do everything that is like the right stuff. I'm just like in my own mind, I'm envisioning, you know, like the, the ticker tape parades and the, and the honors I'm going to get for this conversation where I'm like, you could do the thing you're planning or you could have everything you want in life. And I kind of lay it out now choose. And the person chose what they had already chosen, which was, not the the big possibility of everything working out the, in, the wrong choice to you well let <laughs> me you, say i'm a huge fan of possibility choice. and <laughs> and my own work so uh i was i was uh you know but i was so proud of like the way i did it unattached open-ended questions i thought man i am going to the coaching hall of fame for this 
and a you know they made a different choice and then uh every, but everybody was like yeah that was you know really great training and learning we've learned a lot from that and then later um there was some disgruntlement and i did this thing that i have not done in probably 20 years where i did not apologize for something because it landed wrong you know what i mean and i was like my intention was good and my my actions were true and positive and all this stuff and then i I've been sitting with it. I, you know, those things that you say and you're like, something about that wasn't right. And what wasn't right is I was defending the intention instead of the impact, instead of owning the impact. Right. And I was just like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. So now I have the beautiful experience of um, having to own up to that and apologize after the fact. Hey, remember before when I said I wasn't going to apologize? Well, not only am I going to apologize, but I'm going to apologize for not apologizing. So <laughs> that's delicious. Did I put you to sleep? I love that you. I love that. That's your story. Almost exactly a week after I shared with you a situation where I reminded you of being like you in a in a complimentary way. Right? I I felt like I was standing for the possibility of a client. Right? I was standing right. for what was possible in their future, and they were relating to themselves only as who they are in their past. And I was un, I was like unwilling to give up that space that they could have. Right. And they took it really personal and they got really upset. Um, and then they did, again, didn't like my apology. Um, uh, because I would say the same, I apologized for the intention, you know, or the, the how they felt about my intention instead of, and right. your advice to me was just own all of it. Um, which then we did. And I, you know, I don't know how it, how it went because never heard from them, but um but uh, yeah, it's funny that you you had a similar situation. Yeah, apparently uh, also, I, I can dish it out, but I can't take it. Yeah, I could. Well, also, it's 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 a well known rule these days: never apologize for anything. It gets you nowhere. Oh my gosh! Oh please, <laughs> please. All right, with that, let's welcome we our just guest. Say, Alex is kidding. That was a joke. That's right. Please send all of your uh, lawsuits and um, letters from your attorney. By the way, I heard from your your dog's attorney. Yeah. Apparently, your dog is very upset, ready to sue. It would be, of course, a dog discrimination suit. Um, because uh, apparently, you're constantly questioning this dog. Who's a good Who's a good dog? Who's the best dog? They're they're just they're tired of it. Oh yeah, it's I don't yeah that's a good that's a good dad joke. I don't I don't say that who's the. I tell my dog it's more affirmational. I tell her yeah. she's. Oh got it. Yeah. All right. Let's <laughs> welcome our guest with that. I'm so sorry, Sean. We can cut this whole part out. Um, Sean Ryan is the principal of Whitewater International Consulting and Truly International, joining us from his palatial mansion in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. Um, uh, in addition to being a world-class speaker, consultant, trainer, and executive coach, Sean is an author and has uh, written Get In Gear, Moving Beyond a Strategy of Just Sucking Less Than Your Competition. Uh, welcome to our microphone, Sean Ryan, man with two first names. Sean Ryan. Christopher, Alex, thanks for having me today. And frankly, if you throw my middle name in, I've actually got three first names. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all full. I'm all stocked up on first names. Great. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. Tell us again where this place is, St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, as if we all didn't know. 
Right. Uh, so uh, St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, it's uh, essentially you hit the um, the vertical part, the north-south part of the uh, uh, main Canada border. Uh, when you hit there, you turn right, you go east an hour and 15 minutes, and you pretty much run into my house. Uh, so far northeastern uh, Canada. Beautiful, lovely, you, wonderful. You, I have to ask, who are you hiding from? <laughs> that's a great question this witness, a, are you in witness protection should we <laughs> uh, yeah I, I could be from here you know you're always just trying to stay one step ahead of johnny law alex oh, that's funny that's, <laughs> i bet i can imagine where you live must be beautiful and just very like like surrounded by nature i mean if you're it is, it is absolutely gorgeous it is 100 percent surrounded by nature i'm i'm looking across the uh Kennebecasis river uh, right now, it's about a mile wide where I am. It's a back bay uh, to the Bay of Fundy. Uh, and notably, uh, the Kennebecasis the River and the St. John River drop into the Bay of Fundy uh, right in St. John. And uh, uh, the Bay of Fundy, little known fact I didn't know before we moved here, uh, the Bay of Fundy has the highest tides any place in the world. And uh, so it's, it's a little rural here. Uh, you know, but uh, it's it's absolutely just drop dead gorgeous, and we're we're starting to get to the good time of year uh, when everything's not frozen, and uh, which is makes it really pleasant. Also, a great line in a Joni Mitchell song. Just saying. Um, so, Alex, Alex, I keep waiting for you to jump in. You want for me to jump in? You to jump in. We're bad at this. I'm sorry, Sean. I mean, we. You know, I I, I think the first thing that I would. You know, Sean, you, before we even hit record, you were sharing with me that you've been doing this for 30 years, consulting, right? This book is is a culmination of, of so much of your work. But I love that in the in the title and in the description, you get into like, essentially, you describe so many of the things companies do as sucking, right? <laughs> right. Um, I don't think that's a normally used word in the corporate <laughs> America. Um, right. But I'm actually just curious, like, why that word? And like, how does that land when when you walk into corporate environments? Uh, sure. Uh, well, I, I'm very judicious about uh, how I introduce the concept that they suck. Uh, but here's here's the here's the maybe the data behind it, if 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 there can be, which is um, in the in the premise behind the book and the reason that I ended up writing it, and it and it is uh, really an accumulation of of 30 plus years of experience in the consulting world, which I, maybe I didn't really realize until I wrote the book. But the the fundamental premise is this: most organizations 80 to 85% in the literature, 80 to 85% of organizations come up short of achieving the results that they want from the strategies that they have in place. So good strategy, poorly executed in most cases. Sometimes there are just bad strategies. People make bad acquisitions. They have uh, bad product launches, those kind of things. So you do have, there is some bad strategy, but more often it's good strategy, horribly executed, and they come up way short of what's possible. And, and in doing so, uh, they leave up to 50% of the potential results on the table uh, that they could uh, accumulate for their organization, reinvest, you know, protect themselves for the future, that kind of stuff. And, and so as I was writing the book, what I really realized is that for many organizations, their, their competitive strategy and how they commit, uh, connect that to execution, it really is just a matter, matter of sucking less than my competition. Right. And so if I suck less, then I'm going to stay in business longer than the competition. 
and so what the the what we think is there's a better way which is how do you formulate really good strategy and then execute it so that you get that 50 percent of the results you're leaving on the table you mind if i jump in the the which is the bigger problem bad strategy or poor execution uh, it, it is by far the bigger problem is bad, poor execution. Uh, poor strategy is a piece of it, but more often what you have is good to decent strategy and just the, the breakdown in execution, failing to align uh, all of the people in the organization and their efforts day in and day out to, to delivering the results that they need to deliver for the, for the organization to excel. That's, that's the way it was every place I worked. Alex, what do you got? Well, I just, I, I'd love for you to go a little bit further with that, right? What are the reasons, like, what are the main fundamental reasons why they're poorly executed? What has us poorly execute things that we have really positive intentions on, like Christopher's leadership? <laughs> right. So you know, I can hear you. Yeah. yeah. At, at the broadest level, it's just true. It's really a failure to align the efforts of the people in the organization to uh, what the strategy is. Um, we go into the details. It's the, it's the seven gears that drive strategy to results. And implicit in those seven gears uh, are the reasons that execution falls short. So um, I go into a little bit of detail without, and do this relatively high level, and then you all can choose to dive in where you want. But start with the, the first gear. Uh, we call it right, right, right. Having the right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. Um, you know, a lot of times you, 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 having a great strategy, but without the right people, it's just an illusion. And so you have to have the right talent. You have to have people aligned to your culture. Um, you, you have to have the way to grow skills and capabilities over time. And, and as you all would certainly recognize is being able to adapt those skills as, as what's required uh, in our work environments these days to be successful. We, we have to enable leaders and, and frontline performers to adapt their skills over time to be successful. So right, right, right. Um, the second gear is around, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm Chris. so sorry. Can I, are you okay if I dive right in right to that or do you want to sort of lay that? Absolutely. Out? Yeah. You sure. Okay. So right, right, right. Sounds so good until we're doing it. Right. Because when we find out that it wasn't the right person or in the right role is because something is not working really visibly. Right. Uh -huh. So what, you know, I've seen organizations make mistakes with that, right? First of all, there's organizations that create an identified problem, like, oh, we all know it's, you know, Harold's problem. Harold's the problem. When Harold actually isn't the problem, Harold's doing pretty good in a pretty toxic environment. Or where Harold is the problem, but nobody's willing to do anything about it because dot, 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 right? Harold's been here so long or we can't find a better one or, you know, Harold will sue us or take our IP or something. What, uh, can we drill down on that one just that far? Like, what do we do when we got the wrong person? Uh, sure. Uh, and, and I think, first of all, is to make sure you, you, you start with the premise that maybe we just have a toxic environment. 
And so maybe we've got the right person. They're just in a situation that is toxic. It's not as productive as it ought to be. So the, the first onus is on us as leaders uh, within the organization to get the environment right. Uh, our, do we have a great culture? Is our culture, first of all, what's our value set, which informs the culture? And then are we um, leading effectively around our value set so that our culture aligns with that value set as much as it possibly can? Uh, are we doing the things necessary to make Harold successful? Uh, some of the things we talk about in the book around, does, is Harold clear on what his goals and objectives are? Uh, is, does Harold have a, a scorecard to know how he's performing? Is he getting the kind of feedback that he needs to be able to, to learn and be successful? So the first onus is on us to create that environment where Harold, in this case, can be successful. And then if he's choosing not to be successful for whatever reason, uh, he's toxic. He doesn't work well within the value set. Um, he's not performing at the level we need him to perform at. At some point, we've got to make a decision. He may be a great human being. He's just not a great human being in our organization. He needs to go someplace else and, and, and get people out that don't belong. I think this is so common. I have, I often have in, uh, in clients who have that one person who have been with them for so long, or like they know everything, right? They've trained all their people, but the person never shows up on time. You know, they've created their own rules of engagement for how they get to work. And that mm -hmm. every time throughout the years that the, the management or leadership tried to kind of put bumpers to keep them, you know, like everyone else, they went outside, but they never were able to, uh, I don't know, like keep them inside of that lane. And um, you get to a point, right, where, the, where something has to happen. And it's all, it's a fun, I think as a coach, it's a fun conversation because you, the owner has to actually look at like, how did I create this? How did I pour the ingredients into this person that that made them in a way the way they are? Right? It's not a it's not just them, right? They're two different. But I love that I that um, that that was the first thing you said is like, hey, we have to go back and look at, you know, how we made this or how we're making people successful or not successful. Um, I think this the thing that I want to ask you about is you talked about the environment. Hey, hang on, Alex. In totally unrelated news, I need to talk to you at Friday at five p.m. Can you can you make an appointment then? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Um, um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, environment and culture. Everyone talks about environment and culture. It's such a big, you know, especially in the world we live in now. And I think we've all probably seen this a little bit where we describe how we want it to be, but then it's not like that once we're in an organization right and it's like there's a there's a it's that thing that christopher talked about the intention versus the reality how do you what's your kind of strategy or advice on when people when those things just aren't aligned you say this is your culture this is your environment but the experience of the people in the company are not having the experience of that experience it's um, we we could spend hours uh, on all of the details of of aligning culture to the to the value set. So start with the the premise that um, throw you. I think you all appreciate this language. Our our values, what we say we believe, uh, the environment that we want to create. First of all, it has to be aligned to the strategy. So you can you can have an environment where teamwork is paramount. Uh, and, and so that needs to be a part of our 
our value set, something we value, we hire for it, we promote for it. Uh, you can also have organizations where that would, would absolutely value independent contribution uh, more than they would teamwork. In that case, that becomes uh, part of the value set and you can hire for that and promote for that uh, based upon performance as an individual contributor. So you can see how different strategies might require a different value set, but those values, whatever they are, need to be aligned. And then there are obviously some universal values, regardless of, of the organization around honesty, integrity, caring, trust, respect, you know, those kind of things are just kind of universal and, and need to be there. And so you, you start by hiring right. <clears throat> we, um, and, 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 and so hiring people that fit that value set, then obviously it's incredibly complex. This is going to sound way simpler than it is in a real application, but all of the recognition and reward systems need to be aligned to the, to the value set. So if I say teamwork is important, but the people that get promoted are the individual contributors that treat everybody else like crap. Well, people are going to learn really quickly. We say our spouse theory is teamwork. Our theory and use, our actual culture is kill everybody else so that you can get to the top of the pile, right? And, and so it's, it's you know, aligning all of our system structures, processes to what we say our values are. And then it also is around aligning leadership behavior, you know, how does it all, you know, we can talk about at the top of the organization, the CEO and the executive team can talk about it or put in their annual report or whatever they want to do. They can put in there, Hey, here's what our values are. And they can absolutely believe that. But if frontline leaders are tolerating behavior or worse, um, demonstrating behavior that falls outside the value set, What's the real culture? The real culture is what people see doing going on is the, the acceptable behavior in the organization. And then that's what becomes your culture. And that creates that gap between the values, the espouse theory, and the, the actual culture, which is the, the theory in use. And this is super consistent with your book, because you talk about seven gears, but the first three are all about the environment. Right. Yeah. We got to set the we got to set the environment. And I'm hearing the importance of what I would call integrity. And I hear you calling aligning with that. And I think, man, this point about recognition and reward system is so good because I, I'm looking at my own organization. I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't know what what is actually rewarded here, except um, I know what what gets punished or addressed. Right? <laughs> is that is that a part of setting the right environment is making sure that there are negative consequences too, or are we just focused on the, the carrot or the honey? Uh, absolutely. And so those, those negative consequences can come in different ways. Um, uh, one of the experiences that I had, one of the, the breaks I took from my consulting practice and actually went and had a real job for a while, I was vice president of learning and organizational development at Perrier Group of America uh, back in, late 90s, early 2000s, when, when the company was growing from, call it 350 million in sales to 2.2 billion in sales over about a six or seven year period. And one of the things we discovered early was we had to align the culture to the strategy of the business. We, the company had essentially been built by a whole series of acquisitions. We inherited a bunch of cultures, some of which were incredibly positive, uh, would be the kind of places that almost anybody would want to work. And some, I would say, were at the other end of the distribution curve, if I was going to say that politely. 
And so what are the, what are the, con- you know, and so, so first of all, you got to define, and we did what, what the values were going to be that we needed to live by. Uh, and then we had to over time and it, and it takes years. It's not, especially in a large organization spread across North America, 85 operating locations. It takes a little bit of time. It doesn't take forever, but you start on one hand, rewarding the behavior that you want through promotions, through who gets the the great jobs, through how we recognized and rewarded people. And there are also negative consequences for behavior that doesn't fit the new value set. Those negative consequences can be as simple as you didn't get, maybe you were the highest performer, but your behavior is inconsistent with our value set. So you don't get the next job. Somebody else who's a better representative of our value set gets the job. So negative consequences can be just as simple as you don't get the rewards, recognition, promote, uh, and promotions. It, it obviously it needs to be a, a whole ton of feedback to help people understand what they need to change. And then I think going back to the question Alex asked earlier, there is a point in time if the behavior is so, you know, inconsistent with our value set, we have to make a decision. You may have been a long-term employee who's contributed uh, some great things to the organization, but you're detracting from our value set. You can't, you can't play here any longer. That's a such a, you know, yet again, another clear idea that is so hard in practice, because the last thing most organizations want to do is let go of a high performer, even if they're creating a toxic environment, right? They're just like, look, you can work remotely, you can work without talking to anybody else, we'll get you one assistant who can communicate with the rest of the world for you, right? As opposed to actually addressing the issue. Well, and I think I think Jack Welch said one time that those are actually the hardest decisions to make when you've got a high performer who's not playing well within the value set. Those are incredibly difficult decisions to make. And, and I would agree, having been through this experience a few times, because you know that or there's a really high probability that performance is going to fall off for some period of time. You take a really high performer and you ask them to leave the organization, that's going to leave a void in terms of performance. But it's ultimately the right thing to do because you need the, you want the consistency and culture to attract the kind of people, attract and keep the kind of people that you want to allow you to be more successful in the future. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. 
Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. This is really, I'm thinking of this and and how sports team had like in sports. And if you've, if, if any, if you are people listening have seen, you know, the last dance or the man in the arena, the Tom, the Michael Jordan documentary, the last dance and the Tom Brady man in the arena, there's two in the last dance. They talk about Dennis Rodman being like this with the bulls and that Phil Jackson's strategy was, we just need to give him a lot of rope. And he had to basically get the team enrolled in that hey Dennis Rodman gets to do some things that the rest of us don't get to do and in service of the team's goals and for whatever reason they bought into it for as long as they did and same thing in the in the Tom Brady documentary um I forget the player but it was like they had the one of the best defensive backs safeties in the league and then they went out and got Marvin Harrison from San Diego and they released I forget who their who the, the defensive back was or the safety, um, who was like the t- one of the top guys on their team because Bill Belichick basically just didn't think he fit into the system. There was no problem. I think they had just won a Super Bowl, but he didn't think like long-term strategy, that was the guy. Um, and I'm imagining how much trust that takes in both of these, right? For Phil Jackson to trust that, that and for Bill Belichick. And that in organizations, I know from my experience when I was in the restaurant business, we would say their values were one thing, but then, you know, as, as a director of ops, we'd look at somebody and be like, Hey, we got to get rid of this manager or these employees for these reasons. And the ownership would basically be like afraid, Hey, we can't get, we're afraid to do that. Um, It could impact our, you know, what will it do to the rest of the team, the clients. And I know that happens as, as coaches too, we say, Hey, I'm going to raise my rate or something. And then what happens? People come in and want to hire you at your old rate. Do you stick with what you said? So what, what advice or strategy do you have when people get, they're committed to that thing, they start taking that action, but then they get scared because of what shows up. That's like almost pulling them back to the old ways. Yeah, this is, um, this is pretty harsh, but at some point you have to make the, the decision about what do you really value? And, and it, it is difficult. You think about a restaurant manager uh, who's maybe even having trouble getting people to come to work and fill shifts. And you've got somebody who doesn't play well within the value set. I mean, it's a really, there's a practical reality. I'm a, I'm a frontline leader. I'm a department manager, general manager of a small you know, business or a piece of a, a, an operation. And if I, if I have to take somebody out of the organization, who, especially if they're a high performer, I'm going to know uh, I'm going to negatively impact my business. So there's, there's always that pressure, but the reality is until you, until you make that decision. So now you, you've got a short-term, long-term trade-off, which is in the short run, I'm going to avoid the pain in the long run. I'm probably going to end up having a bigger problem just because of the weight that's getting created by this person that is the bad actor within our value set. We'll never get to that place that we say we want to get to as long as we're going to tolerate that behavior. And so at some point in time, you just really have to make the hard decision of I'm going to, I'm going to suffer the pain now, presume that I can replace the person that, that 
um, having to uh, leave, ask to leave the organization with somebody better, uh, even if they don't perform as well today, that in the long run, they're going to end up being better for my organization and our values and what we stand for. Right. And, and those are those are incredibly real and incredibly tough decisions to have to make. And as coaches, I just want to underline and highlight what you've said. As coaches, one of the most valuable things my coach has done, for example, is um, let's just presume, uh, not Alex, but somebody in my organization is really challenging to work with, right? And is and we decide is not a fit. And then I, as a business owner now, I'm speaking, um, I've known that that person, not Alex, but somebody else, um, has been a, a bad fit for a long time and is causing you know trouble that I wouldn't otherwise have. As you say, it's challenging to make that decision, and so most of us put it off. But one of the most powerful things my coach has done has been reflect to me. You know, we've been, I just checked my notes. I just reviewed my notes, and I remember we've been talking about this person, not Alex, uh, for six months now. And, you know, this was the same conversation then. This is the same conversation now. Are you ready to do something about it? And the answer for a long time was no. And then the day came that I was willing to do something about it, right, and suffer the consequences and deal with my own fears about it. So um, is there anything you have about that, Sean, or shall we move on? I just wanted to sort of highlight that. Uh, I, I, Christopher, I agree 100%. Uh, and we've been through this with uh, both in our own organization and with our clients uh, multiple times over the year. One, one of the great, most notable ones, um, we were working with a, a a company in Southern California, not far from where you all are. And uh, they were going through a, a pretty significant strategy change. And there was a culture chain that, that they needed to make a, a value set change that they needed to make that went along with that. And there were, they were one of, of dozens of business units around uh, North America that were going through a very similar change. Well, this unit in Southern California, they had one person. He, he had under the and in, in, under the old strategy, under the old environment, he'd been a really top performer. He was a, a, a informal group leader, right? Everybody recognized him as kind of, and it was interesting to understand his source of influence uh, because there wasn't a huge amount that he brought to the table other than being a really good performer. But he he steadfastly refused. <laughs> to go along with in the, in the new direction. He was staunchly against it. His, his 20 or 30 peers within that division, they resisted the change too, specifically because he was resisting the change. Around the country, all of the, the sister divisions were making huge progress. They were moving way faster than this unit in Southern California. We were coaching and counseling the, the senior leaders in that division for the better part of a year of kind of almost the same language that you used. Are you ready yet to make the change? Finally, they, they decided to ask this guy to leave the organization. How long do you think it took for the culture and the performance of that division to change once he left? It was, it was hours, days. I mean, it was within 72 hours. Everybody's on board. And the interesting thing was the number of frontline team members who said to their senior leaders, my God, we've been wondering how long it was going to take you to make that decision. They knew. And, and, and so I think, I think that happens a lot is the peer group sees what's going on and is ready know. to get there faster than the leaders are. Right. 
<laughs> I had an experience once where when we we let somebody go from a situation and we checked in and one of the people and other people involved said, you know, I was like, does anybody need anything? Does anybody need to say anything? Just so you know. And one of the per people said, I don't know that I, should I care? <laughs> and, and we like, they're like, I've noticed I just don't care. Should I care? And we're like, you can feel however you want about this. Right. But it was such a, that response was so to me and my partners was so like, whoa, like, right. We think that we, we make up these stories about maybe everyone's feeling this way or people are really attached to each other. And sometimes, right, there are some attachments at work, people, but sometimes a lot of people are just worried about themselves in their life. Like their plate is full. They're not concerned about, you know, Bob leaving or not being here or not being here. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, perform the performance gears because you just spent a lot of time on the environmental gears. Sure. If we dive into those and tell us about that. Sure. So we've got the environment gears that, that create the broad context for the organization for being able to execute. The, the performance gears are about how do we align actual behavior uh, all the way to the frontline team members? How do we cascade the strategic goals of the organization to frontline team members so that every day everybody's working on the right stuff and not working on the stuff that doesn't contribute to success? So the in short, the performance gears are, first of all, everybody has uh, sets, uh, result-oriented goals, and, and SET is, a, is an acronym, not just a word. So SET, meaning start, end, time frame for the result-oriented goals. So we're, our, our goals are about delivering results, not just activities and doing stuff. The next performance gear is visible scorecards, so everybody can see how they're performing versus those goals. On, on a frequent enough basis, we like to frame it up this way, as you can change the outcome of the game while it's still being played. So I can see my scorecard in time to change my results within whatever time frame is important, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever that might be. Uh, and then the next is the having the right performance drivers. Uh, performance drivers are the, the activities that people undertake to perform their best, the critical activities, behaviors, tasks, et cetera, to be able to hit, hit their goals. And, and what we know is in almost all walks of life, whether you're playing defensive back in the NFL, uh, playing a violin or uh, working a production line or selling, there's a certain specific set of things that the best performers do that are different from average or even good performers. And so if we can identify what those task behaviors, activities are and help everybody perform at that level, we may not turn everybody into a violinist in the New York Philharmonic or the Boston Pops, but we can make them better violinists. We can make them better defensive backs. We can make them better production line team members. We can make them better salespeople. And then finally, the last of the performance gears is uh, what we call follow up, follow through. And it has two components components in it. The first is to generate learning. So we don't, we don't know when we set goals, build scorecards, identify the performance drivers that we're going to get it right every time. So the, the first part has to be generate learning. If we're falling short of our goals, why? Do we have the wrong goals? Do we have the wrong scorecards, right? Uh, do people not have the skills they need to execute their performance drivers effectively? So we need to build skills. So the first part of follow up, follow through is to generate learning. The second part is the, what we've talked about a lot so far uh, today is the accountability piece. 
there have to be consequences that differentiate great from good or mediocre performance. And so how do we create accountability for the performance for both behavior playing within the value set and the performance results? So th those four gears uh, align people's activities and behaviors to the strategic goals of the organization. Might be uh, taking us down a bad path here, but one of the issues that I heard you sort of address in a in a rapid fashion is the culture of excuses. The people that are taking action instead of producing results, or or action that's not effective towards a result. Anything that you want to drill down about that? Because I know it's something that we encounter almost every organization every time we've got a gig, right? Yeah, so I think I think there are uh, several components of that, Christopher. Uh, one is, man, it, it, I ask this question in every group that I work with. How many people came in here today and just don't have enough to do? And you're hoping that the result of our work together today is that I'm going to give you some stuff to do. You know, 30 years later, now nope. one person has ever raised their hand thinking, man, I just need some stuff to do. We are all busy. The question is, is that busy work that we do, uh, a lot of times we describe it as managing the mess, everything that's grabbing for our attention every day. Is it directed toward our goals, right? And a lot of times if we ask people to just keep a diary of what they spend their time on versus those critical performance drivers, the things that they need to be doing to hit their goals, then there, as you might guess, there is a, and I would imagine you've all done this in your coaching work too, is there's a huge gap between how I spend my time and how I ought, ought to spend my time. So, so defining those critical performance drivers makes people think about, here's how I should be spending my time to hit my goals. There's a, there's a part that comes before that, which is the, the goals piece. Um, we, we played this game. We talked about it in the book. It's an incredibly simple game uh, that, that we've done 20, 30, 40,000 times over the years. We ask leaders to write down the top five goals for each of the people on their team. Independently, we ask the people on the team to write down what they think their top five goals are. So now between a leader and a performer, and it, it happens at every level of the organization. So it could be the CEO and his or her direct reports, um, or it could be a frontline supervisor and their team. Again, two lists of five that theoretically ought to match. Here's what the leader thinks I ought to be doing, and here's what I think I ought to be doing. How many of those match on average? Well, over, over 40,000 repetitions, it's actually two. You're actually optimistic. <laughs> it's actually two. Um, so so the, the, the getting people to get the excuses out of the way, to get the behavior in the right direction, we got to start with getting aligned on what the top three goals are, the top four goals are, the top five goals are get in that alignment, then figure out what the critical behaviors are to hit those goals, and then start thinking about what's all the rest of that crap that I'm pending, spending time on that's just literally not adding value and, and stop, stop doing that, as hard as that may be. That's gold. Uh, I think that you, there's so much more to this, right? You're, you're summarizing a book that you wrote. Where do people find... Where can people get uh, the Getting Gear book? 
You can uh, get it on Amazon.com. Just get in and uh, put uh, Get In Gear into the search bar and, and the book will pop up. Get it in Kindle version, audio version, hardback and, and uh, paperback version. Uh, or you can come to our website, uh, www excuse me, sorry, uh, wiki.com, www.ici.com. And then if people want to, are you, what are you available for as a, as a consultant? Do you work with people one-on-one? Is it, or just you and organizations? What can people utilize? How can they utilize you? Sure. Well, we have a, we have a broad range of ways people can utilize this. First of all, uh, we do provide individual one-on-one coaching, uh, just like uh, you all do to help people first think about their strategy and then drive strategy to results using the the getting gear process. Uh, We provide uh, uh, training uh, programs, both uh, on-site and virtual. Uh, and uh, soon, uh, we're going to be uh, introducing our e-learning uh, program, uh, the e-learning version of, of the program, especially the four performance gears around goal scorecard, performance drivers, and follow-up, follow-through. Uh, our e-learning program, we're going to launch probably uh, mid to the latter part of uh, May. We're putting the finishing touches on it right now. Very cool. We, I want to just say that uh, website again, because it gets confusing with all the W's and everything. Now, yes. I know uh, <laughs> people are going to turn it into what would uh, <laughs> interesting Christopher intend, but that's not what that's not what it's about. It's Whitewater International Consulting. It's www.ici.com. That's www.ici.com. And um, of course, the book, as you said, is uh, wherever I'm are sold including bookshop or amazon or any of them places and you're also on linkedin at sean ryan s-e-a-n-r-y-a-n 6008976 but they can find you by searching by name right exactly absolutely go ahead alex i feel like i interrupted you no um where do you want to uh, what, what what do we need to know uh Sean, like, what's your, what's the last, we always offer people like a last word, you know, something we didn't, we didn't ask you about or something you really want to share that maybe no one ever asks you about. We really want <laughs> what, what would you like to share with the audience today? Uh, let's see. Uh, I started out as a small child. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Please tell that story. <laughs> uh, no, I think the one interesting thing related back to the book, uh, one of the reasons that this whole gear motif that we stumbled upon, um, I think has really kind of caught traction with a lot of people. And one of the things that we, sometimes when you think about how do I create my organ, build my organization so we can better drive strategy results, we all want better results. It seems like such an incredibly complicated thing to do. One of the, one of the beautiful things about the gear construct that has, has emerged over the, over the last few years is I don't have to fix the whole organization. I don't have to fix everything at once. I can pick a gear. If you ask me which gear to start with, I'd start with set goals. Uh, because when you start trying to set goals, it begins to reveal all the issues in the other gears. But if you just pick, pick whatever one makes the most sense for you and your organization and go work on it. You make a little bit of progress. After you get that one lining and less wobbly and a little bit better lubricated, pick a different gear and work on it for a while. And then the accumulation over time of solving one problem or one or two problems at a time, not trying to solve 20 problems, 
over a period of time, you get you start getting pretty good. So that that would be the one thought that I'd add. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for the work that you're doing. And uh, boy, enjoy that that life that you've created up in the in the far north. Uh, quick question about the the painting behind you. What is the story about this painting behind you? It's in ah, the the painting behind me is uh, was done by a woman named Jill Higgins. Uh, she's a phenomenal uh, architect and um, an artist. Uh, she actually architected the building that I'm in. Uh, she architected the building uh, next to me. She's a good friend of ours, a local resident here. And uh, she did that painting. And it's a, kind of an abstract representation of the view uh, out through the other side of, uh, on the other side of my camera here. Nice. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Once again, the website is WWICI. The book is Get In Gear, uh, available wherever fine books are sold. And I thank you so much for being with us, Sean Ryan. Thanks for your great work in the world. Christopher, Alex, thanks for having me today. It was an absolute treat. Hugely enjoyed it. Thank you. Our pleasure. Likewise. And Alex, anything you want to tell the people before uh, we all skedaddle? That's a Texas I mean, now, you know, I'm thinking about when I was a child, I'm, I'm thinking there's so many things I want to admit. Uh, and that's all the time we have. Confess to. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, I'm, thanks, thanks for letting me partner with you as always. Sean, it was great having you here. Okay, thank you. Great to be with you. That's uh, Alex Terranova. You can find him at thedreammason.com or a lot of other places, including the Instagram, which I think has really taken off. Uh, you can find him at Inspirational Alex on Instagram. My name is Christopher McAuliffe. A shout out to our longtime sponsor of this program. Over 20 years, we've been coming to you, bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people that are just plain interesting that you need to know about uh, each and every week. And that sponsor is Accomplishment Coaching. Go to accomplishmentcoaching.com and find out about their fine offerings in all sorts of times zones and off, uh, opportunities, including in-person programs starting up again this year. I thank you for listening, dear, uh, dear friend of the show, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.